What's up, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Blinking Nintendo Gaming Podcast. So, just want to preference before we get into this week's episode, coming down with a cold, so if I sound like Kermit the Frog, I apologize in advance, but just know, even through sickness and in health, I'm still here for you guys, so that's what it's all about. So, on this week's episode, we're going to talk about Microsoft's first venture in the home console market with its debut system the xbox yes we're doing an xbox collecting guide so let's just go ahead and dive into the backstory of the original xbox or the og xbox as it's sometimes called so the xbox was released in november 2001 and at the time the xbox was a pioneer for many of the gaming features we still have today it was the first console to use a built-in hard drive with about eight gigabytes of onboard storage through the use of component cables it also supported 720 and 1080i resolution hd in 2001 even though it only worked for about 50 games and it was the first home console to popularize dlc and then its most important innovation xbox live before xbox live we had some consoles that could connect to the internet hell the dreamcast came with a 56k modem but xbox live took things to the next level when it came to playing games against people online through a home console and not a pc now as great as those innovations were it didn't quite translate to massive sales success and there were a couple of key factors into why that was it was a completely new console with no install base so customer acquisition was a slow build Also, because it was a Western developed system with a more Western ideal when it came to game offerings, it was a total flop in Japan. But the big elephant in the room to the lack of success of the Xbox was the indescribable success of the PS2. I mean, the final numbers of the sixth generation echo those sentiments. The Dreamcast sold a little over 9 million units. The GameCube sold about 22 million units the xbox sold 24 million units a commendable number but the mac daddy of them all the ps2 sold a whopping wait for it 155 million units making it the best selling console of all time so that's the backstory of the xbox now let's move on to the console itself but unlike previous guys like the vita and psp that had multiple console iterations and revisions the og xbox really only had one standard model throughout its life cycle sans some extremely minor under the hood hardware changes that you wouldn't even notice now while the console itself was standard for the most part the big change they made was with the controller the xbox originally launched with a massive controller called the duke that in 2008 had the guinness world record for biggest controller the problem with it was well It was just too damn big and unwieldy to use, almost to the point of ridiculousness. Like, they really made this bullshit and expected people to actually fucking use it and play games with it? What dopes? The funniest part about this is that the solution was under their nose the whole time. And when the Xbox launched in Japan three months after its US release, the Duke wasn't the included controller. Instead, they included a smaller, lighter controller called Controller S, or Akibono, a controller that looked and felt so much better than the Duke that people would import it overseas back to the States. The demand for it became so popular that in 2002, the smaller controller S 
replaced the Duke as the bundled controller, though the Duke was still available to buy separately. You know, it's funny, though, how trends repeat over time. We see it with fashion, movies and TV show reboots, and the same goes for gaming because as vilified as the Duke was back in the day, when Hyperkin released a slightly modernized version of it for the Xbox One uh, back in 2018, there was a groundswell of positive feedback and reception for it. Now let's talk about some games, because that's what you guys are here for. Let's talk about some games. The Xbox had a pretty interesting library. You know, it got its fair share of multi-platform games like Grand Theft Auto, Burnout, etc. But again, being a Western-based console, the Xbox had a greatly limited selection when it came to Japanese-developed games. In fact, its biggest salvo of Japanese games came out earlier in the console's life cycle since it was seen as a spiritual successor to the failed Sega Dreamcast. This was due to the fact that Microsoft and Sega had a good working relationship because of the inclusion of Microsoft CE on the Dreamcast. Now, Shenmue 2 and Fantasy Star Online were Dreamcast games that got ported over to the Xbox, but Sega also supported the Xbox with a handful of console exclusives as well. Gun Valkyrie, Otogi, Panzer Dragoon Orta, and uh, Jet Set Radio Future, to name a few. This partnership was huge for Microsoft, establishing a foothold, albeit a very small one, in the land of the rising sun. When I think of OG Xbox games, I think of shooters and overall just more mature-themed games. But they had a little more variety than that, and I'll run through five must-have Xbox games that any collector should have to start off their Xbox collection. We're going to start this list off with a bang. Halo fucking 2. The original Halo was a launch title for the Xbox, a game that revolutionized first-person shooters. While Halo 1 is an awesome game, Halo 2 took things to a whole new level. Better gameplay, better story, and I can't forget how instrumental Xbox Live and Halo 2 multiplayer was. Back in 2004, playing a game like that online on a home console was a massive deal in the gaming world, a precursor for what was to come when it came to playing games online against people all around the world in the comfort of your own home. Next up, a two-for-one special. Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, also known as KOTOR, and Jade Empire. Now, BioWare became the developer we all know and love through the popularity of games like Mass Effect and Dragon Age during the 7th generation. But they made their bones on the OG Xbox with games like Jade Empire and KOTOR, two fantastic RPGs that I highly recommend. Now, I gotta show some love to my fighting games, and while the Xbox had some really good ones like Guilty Gear X2 and Marvel vs. Capcom 2, which is stupid expensive nowadays, my favorite has to be Dead or Alive 3. Not only is the gameplay awesome, but the graphics, especially for a 2001 launch title, look fucking amazing. The last game I'm going to recommend is a little out there for me. I'm normally not a fan of flying simulators, but Crimson Skies is an incredible arcade flying game. I didn't think I'd like it, but I was so wrong. It's a super fun game. Now, of course, there's an honorable mention list of some other great games you should add to your collection as well. Let's go ahead and run through that list. Metal Gear Solid 3 Subsistence, Brute Force, Fable, Ninja Gaiden, and Star Wars Battlefront 2. Now, there's a reason I mentioned Star Wars last, and that's because it's the perfect example of something that started off great and eventually became commercially bastardized, and that's DLC. So now, now is the best time as any to rant about it. 
The concept of DLC at the time was so novel and innocent. Star Wars Battlefront 2 was a highly rated, commercially successful game, and the developers, Pandemic Studios, a shitty name in hindsight, we know that now, was, was pretty much like, well, damn. Y'all like this game so much, we'll add some new characters and maps for you to download to expand the game. What a great fucking idea. You release the game first, see the reception, see the reaction, and plan DLC accordingly. The 7th generation completely fucked that whole business practice up to the point where now DLC is announced before the goddamn game is even released as a part of like a $30 or $60 season pass which is just a way to squeeze an additional $60 or whatever out of customers. Listen, I get it. It's a business. But when I feel like you're bleeding me dry just for the sake of watching me bleed, I'm going to feel some type of way about it. In fact, to tickle your ass with a feather about an upcoming episode, the most egregious practice of DLC had to be Street Fighter Cross Tekken back in 2012, which had the DLC locked on the disc. Meaning they wanted you to pay for content that was already included on the disc at launch. Talk about fuck the fuck up. Am I right? So yeah, DLC is cool. I mean, the Spider-Man DLC on PS4 is a perfect expansion of the base game. And added so much additional content. A great example of doing DLC right. I don't know guys. The way DLC has been sold in the past decade is highly problematic to me. So to wrap things up. The Xbox was a revolutionary and innovative console. And while it's not my favorite console, you know, I grew up a PS2 and GameCube guy. There's no denying that those innovations still reverberate in gaming to this day. And I'll take you on a little backstory about my personal experience with the Xbox. Again, like I said, I was a PS2 and GameCube guy. But when I was in elementary school, one of my best friends, his older brother, had an Xbox. And... Uh, he had Halo 2, Halo, Brute Force, all those type of games. And they were cool. But, you know, back then and still to this day, I'm a JRPG guy. That's my favorite genre of games. And the original Xbox just didn't have any of those. And so for me as a kid growing up, I just had no interest in the Xbox. It wasn't until I became a collector that I actually went back and started playing some of those games from before. that I didn't really play. So I think the Xbox, for the time was something brand new, it was something different, and as you can see over time, the Xbox name is still stuck around, and, and honestly, the 360 would have been a massive success, you know, bigger than it was, if it wasn't for the Red Ring of Death, and the billion dollars that Microsoft had to shell out to fix that problem, but it turns out that Microsoft was right, they had a good game plan, they took a, their PC model and tried to kind of replicate that in a console market, and that's why you see now with the Xbox Series X, how how compatible it is with those PCs and PC games and how they communicate back and forth because, I mean, look at the Xbox, the original Xbox. It was pretty much a PC in a box that you hook up to your TV. So they had a lot of good things going. And like I said, the innovation from DLC to Xbox Live uh, to having a hard drive in the console when it first launched, those were things that I don't think we were thinking about that seriously back in 2001, but Microsoft was. So kudos to them. And like I said... They're still around 20 years later. So, guys, you know where to find me, as always. Uh, BlinkyNintendo.Buzzsprout.com is the podcast page. Hit me up on Instagram, at BlinkyNintendo. Twitter, at BlinkyNintendo. Hit up your boy. Want to apologize in advance again. Or not in advance because the episode's done. Want to apologize for the Kermit the Frog voice, like I said, under the weather. Feeling kind of crappy. Feeling kind of shitty. But... 
I do this for you guys. And no matter how sick I am, like the U.S. Postal Service, through rain, through sleet, through snow, whatever the rest of that statement goes, we deliver. I deliver. And I'm here delivering the mail to you guys today. So, love you guys as always. Appreciate y'all listening. Check out the podcast. You guys are the best. I love y'all. Keep listening. Till next time, stay tuned. And don't get sick. It sucks. Thank you.